0: off a january weekend and saw okay we got to be honest a not so thrilling fight card for top rank and espn's debut hey let's be positive it can only go better from here for them we are back in to recap it on the fight freaks unite recap podcast i am merely the somewhat rested somewhat distracted by all the nfl playoff action host tj reeves we still got a Monday night football game in my world for my tampa bay buccaneers to host uh who uh the dallas cowboys oh we've heard of them uh, but you know what you're not here for the nfl uh you're here for dan rayfield's insight and analysis and recaps of the weekend and by the way dan's also a giants guy so i can confirm right now you're not in giant blue uh you're not you're not sporting i'm wearing uh, blue you do have a version of blue but not giant blue and you don't have any uh, giant logoed paraphernalia on at the time that we are taping this off the weekend the giants have beaten the minnesota vikings they will now play the rival Philadelphia Eagles, who, by the way, they've had playoff success against in the past. Uh, next weekend, we'll see if my Buccaneers beat the Cowboys on Monday night and stay alive for the playoffs. I'll be weekend.
1: listening, DJ, I'll be rooting for the Bucs next week.
0: Let's see or, what you know, happens Monday, Monday night.
1: Monday night, I'll be rooting Monday for the night
0: and then let's see what happens if the Buccaneers win. They go to play the San Francisco. And by 49ers the way, it's not
1: because much. I love the Bucs; it's because I just freaking hate the Cowboys.
0: See, but we'll take that. Exactly, we will take we will take the anti-Cowboy sentiment uh, that's and, there. All right, and so if our, if
1: our uh, if our good friend Carla Moretti from Top Ring is listening, come on, Carlito, you know I hate the Cowboys.
0: Yeah, well, and, and for anybody else, the, I mean, the Cowboys are the ultimate love-hate. Uh, so it, we're looking forward to seeing what happens with that. But we got plenty to recap here. Uh, plenty to recap with the fight card. F.A. jogba gets the win. Uh, it was definitely uh, presented by uh, No-Dose on, uh, on Saturday. We'll get into that. We'll get into Geo... Uh, uh, Vianello, Guido Vianello, and the and one of the nastiest cuts you're gonna see from a punch that stopped his fight and all the controversy around that. Uh by the way, however you found us, social media link, Dan Substack, a uh, big fight weekend website, whatever the case. Thank you for finding us. Make sure you follow and subscribe. A lot of you finding us, following and subscribing. Do and so Ray- and make sure, make sure that you are following and subscribing, because then you don't have to have any other reminder.
1: You will get an automatic reminder, Dan Rayfield. A rumor has it, TJ, they'll get a, a banner, a bell, a ding, a light, a vibration. All of those things,
0: or some of those things, or most of those things. And then they'll and they fill rate notes.
1: us also while they're at it.
0: Yes. You need to go in and rate us, review us. That will help us out. By the way, I have not gotten back to you on this. Are we doing the giveaway at the end of the month for anybody that's rated and reviewed us? You still want to do uh, we're, that?
1: We're, yeah, we're gonna do that. We're gonna
0: do a giveaway. It is a cool item. Do we want to let them in on what the item, the the choice of the item would be? Yeah. Not that it's a specific can, item. Do you want to let them in on that now? I want let them in. So,
1: recap? I've been to a million fights, and for a long, long time, uh, Takate the beer, was a title sponsor for years of many of the biggest fights. And so their signage was everywhere. They would hand out posters. They had all kinds of stuff in the arena. But one of the things they always did was when you went to the arena on the night of the fight, if you went to the concession stand or whatever, and you bought yourself a beer or a soda, came in a beautiful plastic cup, of Tecate cup adorned with the fight artwork. And I would go to all these fights, and I ended up with a lot of these cups after fights because I'm a garbage picker, and I would go and I'd pick up cups. I'd spill them out. I'd put them <laughs> in my plastic bag that I brought to the arena, and i washed them out in my hotel room and run them through the dishwasher when I got home, and i have a whole collection of a million. And I would get some from there. There was actually, believe it or not, as crazy as it is. Because I had been to the MGM Grand like a billion times, the same people worked at the concession stand when you go downstairs to go into mm-hmm. the arena. Mm-hmm. So there was a woman that worked there who I got to be friendly with over all these years. Every time I would go in, I would stop and would chat. She always give me a couple of cups from the fight <laughs> for years. <laughs> Marion, if, if you're listening, it's nice to uh, bring you up in my podcast. Anyway, there you go. so I have collected over the years. A cups from a lot of great big time championship fights. Give
0: me two or three examples, like in the
1: last decade. Two or three examples. I mean, I don't know which ones I'm going to go Mayweather with. Pacquiao, yes. Mayweather Pacquiao, you know, various Triple G fights, various right. Canelo fights, various, uh, uh, you know, Superfly fights. Uh, well, have been a, maybe
0: a Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder two or three years ago or no? Do
1: they have a souvenir They were that no night? longer sponsoring okay. at that time, so I don't believe so. I'd have to double check, but suffice it to say there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Miguel Cotto fights. And, okay. you know, I can look over my shoulder here. I see a couple up there, uh, Miguel Cotto versus Cam uh, versus, uh, when he won his last world title against, uh, 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 just, I'm going to go pick a couple out Daniel right. Jacobs against triple G, which was a tremendous fight. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to pick a couple out and we're going to send those off to the winner of our, of our, uh, All we're right. just going to, our so bribery, a radar, here, the, radar the bribery fight. has worked in the past. So here's they're how they're cooler works. than the. They're even cooler, I think, than the than the key cards.
0: The key cards were pretty cool, and our guy, the the fight fan Dan over in the UK, he got the key cards of the Canelo Triple G fight and the Mayweather Pacquiao fight that were the digital magnetic cards that opened the room. Little, uh, small hotel key cards that they have the fight poster on them. That's pretty cool. So this is essentially like a fight poster on a souvenir drinking cup. Like a red big, souvenir. Exactly. What, like 24-ounce, 32-ounce drinking cup, whatever it is. I can't uh, depending really tell on you, beverage. It's, it's at least 24 ounces. They're big enough. I know I know what souvenir here, right cups here. go for for all the sporting events. I see that. Yeah, I would I would say that's easily. He's holding it up right now for like Canelo versus is Jacobs. Canelo, that's G, right easily a 24-ounce drinking cup, souvenir here. cup, Rayfield cool. collection being opened up. Here's what you got to do you got to rate us and review us and take a screenshot of it. If you want one of these Takate Souvenir Cups, uh, rate us and review us. Take a screenshot of that review. Tag Dan's social media. Tag Big Fight Weekend. Tag either one so that we can see it. And then we will draw somebody at the end of the month in a couple of weeks, and it could be you if you rated us and reviewed us. Anybody that rated us and reviewed us in January, Let's just start with January, and we've gotten a couple in, but we want to see like 15 of you rate us and review us now. We are bribing you, officially bribing you, to rate us and review us because it helps us. More people will find it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, when you rate us and review us, it moves us up in rankings. They see it. They help promote us. Okay. So, uh, take care of that, but make sure you send the screenshot because we have no idea who you are if you just rated us on Apple Podcast and you don't tell us on social media who you are or how to contact you. And by the way, our guys, one of our guys was like cyber stalking you uh, with photos at the uh, DC Gervonta Davis fight. Homer, Homer got the Tyson Holyfield hat by doing exactly what we said. Rate us and review us, take a screenshot. Our guy, Arietta. If I have that right, uh, out in California, if I mispronounced your name, I'm sorry. Uh, But he got the fight poster of Haney Cambosis. He put it up on the wall. He sent us a picture. He took a screenshot of his rating and review. Fight fan Dan, boxing fan Dan, boxing coach Dan over in the UK. I covered all of his monikers. He sent us a rating and review with the screenshot. He got the cool key cards. You're going to get the same thing with his cup. We're bribing the audience. You'll get a cool one from the Ray Fuel Collection. I'll probably pick a couple out. I got a million of them. I'll pick two or three out. This is fantastic. I wish I had one. Instead, I got like souvenir Buccaneer Cups with Warren Sapp and Mike Olstad and all the famous Buccaneers on them or or Tampa Bay Rays Souvenir Cups or Tampa Bay Lightning Souvenir Cups. So uh, anyway, uh, take care of business with the ratings and reviews. Okay, we'll get to the fight recaps in a couple of moments. Uh, I, I have to confess so the uh, the top-ranked card was all but putting us to sleep. A jog but gets the win. You did your recap story. I put it up. I'm getting ready to hit the bed because we got Sunday morning. We got church. We got, we got NFL football. Lo and behold, I see the social media post by Oscar De La Hoya, uh, the, the Hall of Fame fighter, multi-division world champion, the CEO, the owner of Golden Boy Promotions. And right away, my antenna goes up because you know I got a journalism background just like you. And we got news because the man is saying two things. He is saying in a two-sentence tweet, I don't have a contract for Javante Davis, Ryan Garcia. And more importantly, if I don't get one by Monday, we're moving on. We're moving off the fight. We're walking away from this uh, proposed mega bout between these two guys. All right, Dan Rayfield, what do we make of this? I put something up on the site. We publicized it. Are we making too much out of it? You've been working the phones a little bit. You've been working the text message a little bit. What's going
1: on here? Uh, Oscar is Oscaring, for lack of a better way to put it. Oscar's not moving off this fight on Monday because it's not Oscar's decision to move off this fight on Monday. And if he does move off this fight on Monday, he's going to have some splaining to do because Ryan Garcia is not going to take that shit, and neither is his advisors. Uh, Oscar doesn't have a lot of say-so in this particular matter. I appreciate the fact that he finally went along to agree to a deal to make this fight, so that's a good thing. I know that he wants to get a big fight for Ryan Garcia, so that's that's a positive. I understand his frustration. They don't have an actual full executable contract yet. What they did have, and Steven Espinoza has explained this, and this is everything that every reporter that's written about has been told, the boxers signed off on it, et cetera. When Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia went on their social media platforms um, six weeks ago, whenever it was, Uh, And announced that they had reached a deal for them to fight each other, even though Gervonta was going to then have this Hector Luis Garcia fight that took place on January 7th, which, of course, he won. Ryan was going to take an interim fight, which he ultimately, a couple of weeks later, said, you know what, forget it. I'm just waiting for the big fight in April. So Gervonta won the fight. And after that was over, they're supposed to get um, the full contract to go through and to have signatures and execute but they would not have announced that, both uh, Davis and Ryan Garcia, if they had not all been in agreement on all the terms. So it's not like they just said, yeah, we have a deal. They right. may not have an executable contract, but by all accounts, they have exchanged detailed what's called them deal memos that outline all the particular things in specific that they decided on. The date, the wait, uh, you know, the, how they're splitting up the money. I don't Maybe maybe terms of if there's a rematch clause testing, you know, the ty- that the you know the type of gloves though where who's coming into the ring first, all the typical bullshit that goes on when you have to agree to these fights. Those main things were agreed to and put into uh emails slash memos, whatever, that DeZone, Golden Boy, Ryan Garcia and his team, Tank Davis and his team, Showtime, PBC, they all signed off on it. That's why the two boxers announced the fight. Now, I can't tell you why um, Al Heyman, PBC, TGB Promotions, whoever is handling the particulars on the paperwork, has not sent Golden Boy the official contract that's more of a long-form agreement to go through. Obviously, Oscar has not gotten it. Now, that is not breaking news, because we've all known that, who follow this and have been making our phone calls and doing our due diligence, especially since the Davis victory over Hector Luis Garcia uh, a week or so ago. So. The, the whole idea was, okay, Tank takes care of his business. Now let's get to the process of let's finalize the paperwork for the big one. Oscar is clearly frustrated. Uh, but for him to go on social media and to say that he's making a Monday deadline is just, its I mean, I, look, I love Oscar. I've known Oscar for my entire career. I've always gotten along well with him. Uh, I think he was a great fighter. But he sometimes doesn't think things through as a promoter. And he hasn't learned after 20 years in the boxing business side of things as a promoter. Why would you put that out on social media and put yourself in a corner like that? Particularly when you know you don't really have the true control over what the outcome is. Because if he blows this fight for Ryan Garcia, Ryan Garcia is going to walk. It's going to be like a Canelo 2.0. And can I go
0: ahead and share with you, that may be the end largely of Golden Boy Promotions. You wouldn't say forever, forever, but I mean they're already damaged without having Canelo. If they don't have Ryan Garcia, what else do they really have? Well, I point? never write off. So, uh, I understand, you know, they're, but, they're
1: survivors and they've but been. What do they before. really?
0: But what do they really have that people are going to care about if they don't have Canelo and they don't have Ryan Garcia? I mean, I'm just. But uh, the word I kept other thinking of fighters, when you were, First of all, hold,
1: hold on, hold on. They have a deal with the zone number one that's going to okay. take me through the next two years.
0: But well, what and championship developed-
1: fighters really compel you? Go, give me one, give me two. Virgil Ortiz. Not wrong. a championship fighter yet. Go ahead. No, no. TJ, I understand that. I'm only making the point that you are like Twitter people that that want to just make a blanket statement that if they lose Ryan Garcia, they're done. And I'm
0: saying I didn't saying say, the I didn't it, uh, say they were done. I said they're damaged. They are greatly damaged without Canelo and without Ryan Garcia. Those are the two yes, biggest that, draws. That I, that I agree with. The, okay. they, they would
1: be damaged, but right. it's not Let's go incident. back to what you were saying. I was thinking Remember the one thing. Unnecessary. When, when they unnecessary. What he did up, was unnecessary. Up. When they broke up with Al Heyman, they lost like 80 90 percent of their top guys and they rebounded very well i'm never going to write them off okay that's the main thing i thought the word
0: i thought the word unnecessary you're describing as what he's doing is unnecessary and it's making trouble where it's not necessary to make trouble right now it's an
1: unforced error because that's not something that he needs to make public that's something you have your lawyer you have your uh you make a phone call you get in touch with the people there you know you have uh you know other people that you can talk to or communicate with and to inquire and find out what the problem is. But to put yourself in that kind of corner and threaten a fight that you don't truly have the the authority to back out on is just silly silly season. So again, all due respect to Oscar, but I, I think he made a very tactical strategic negotiating error by putting that public. Now this this podcast will come out you know overnight Sunday into Monday, so who knows what will happen. Uh, by the time people listen to this on Monday, maybe they'll have a contract. Maybe there'll be some other uh, development. But, you know, Ryan Garcia f- bypassed a multimillion dollar payday uh, in January to go to the big fight in April. He's not letting that big fight get away from him in April. No freaking way. And Tank Davis wants that fight, too, obviously. Uh, but look, it's it's Al Heyman. He he always and this is not a knock on Al. I'm not so don't take this the wrong way. Anybody out there who says I'm anti-PBC, which is not true, but if you have followed Al Heyman and the way he has done his business ever since he's been in the boxing business since the early 2000s, he is the greatest player of poker of chicken, however you want to play it. He will push things and push things and push things to the absolute limit, sometimes beyond the limit, to see who blinks first, and he'll never blink first because that's the way he rolls, that he knows he's got balls of steel when it comes to having the nerve on on getting a deal done. He knows now that Oscar feels the pressure, and and Al's going to sit back and laugh at him, and I don't blame him.
0: All right, but uh, I'm just curious on this point. If they've agreed to the important stuff, which I I don't – when Steven Espinoza of Showtime Sports put it out there, because Heyman, again, doesn't publicly talk about any of this stuff ever – Good, bad, indifferent. If it's happening, not happening, he never does. Espinoza put it out. This is happening. Okay. So that's very credible, late November. So if the big stuff has been agreed to, then what else are you trying to squeeze out of it? I don't know what the motive would be on that, on why you don't have a formal agreement. I, I just, that part doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's panic time. We're in mid January. But what else would you be squeezing him for just to mess with him because he sued you before and was trying to stop you? Al Heyman, we're talking about and De La Hoya sued him. Is that sometimes, why he's messing with him?
1: I don't know. Is that what's going sometimes on? Sometimes Al Maybe. just likes to uh, stick it to people. I mean, all right. again, that, that's the tough part of the business. And and uh, I, I'd, I'd be willing to gamble that, that Al, if he heard about that, uh, I'm sure he didn't see it because uh, by all accounts, he doesn't use uh, the Internet, really. He has his assistant who will keep him informed on all these matters he'll sit back and he'll like laugh about it. He understands he's, you know, he, he's sort of got him by the balls and, and Oscar doesn't have really a chance to to do much about it. And so I, I feel for Oscar, he's frustrated, you know, late Saturday night, he doesn't have a contract. He's uh, <laughs> a little bit bummed out. All right. One more
0: contextual thing is contextual word. You and I both went to college in context. One more thing in context. You've already explained that this is a one-sided TV production. Showtime will show it. They're in charge of it. They're running it. So that's got to be another frustrating thing to an extent. DAZN will get to show the replay, right? That's the way that you no, explain no, no, no,
1: no, That's not how it works. Does, is DAZN not even going to get to show the replay? I thought that's what we no, talked about The way before. that it works is DAZN will be a platform on which you can buy the Showtime pay-per-view. Understood. The same okay. way you could buy the Showtime pay-per-view on uh, your Roku or your... your some other uh, platform on in demand on, on your cable, probably on PPV.com, for example, right. it's going to be one of the various outlets where you can purchase the pay-per-view right. and they will show, in essence, the showtime pay-per-view. So you would, if you bought it on your DAZN, uh device, you know, on your, on your app on DAZN, you would actually probably be listening to Al Bernstein and Mara Ranallo and Jim Gray and marvin Amaris and Brian Custer and the, the group that puts those shows on. So they're not involved in, in the production. All right, and so in context, Oscar De La Hoya is still chapped.
0: Good Southern phrase, good Southwest Texas, you know, the Cowboys are chapped. It chaps my hide. He's still chapped about the fact that he wanted a Jermel – let me get it straight – Jermal Charlo, Jermal the WBC middleweight champion, uh, fight with Jaime Munguia, but they could not agree on how does it get televised on DAZN as well for that one, didn't have the leverage, didn't have the legs, Didn't have as much sizzle, wasn't as much money involved. So that's the context that I'm, I think he's a little sore. This is just me from the cheap seats. I think he's sore about the whole thing still. And he doesn't have a contract because the Munguia
1: Charlo didn't happen last summer for these same reasons. They couldn't agree. So the difference between the difference between Charlo and Munguia, good fight, obviously, but a tiny pay per view, not a pay per view. Ryan Garcia is a star in his own right, Javante Davis is a star in his own right. And you bring the two of them together and it's going to make for a very big event. And it's going to generate a lot of money for everybody, whether it's on pay-per-view, the sponsor deals that they'll cut, the, uh, the live gate, all the, you know, international. Uh, it'll generate a tremendous amount of money and both fighters will make their career biggest paydays by a long shot. And everybody associated with that event is going to make money. And again, nothing against the Charlo Munguia fight. And I understand they, they, they were hoping to make that fight but at that point oscar was very insistent that they do that it had to be involving of the zone and it just and it's not a knock on anybody in the in the whole situation because i understand uh, both sides of it but the the magnitude of mongia against charlo was like 5% of uh, davis versus garcia that was a fight that on a good day would, probably would not even maybe might do 100,000 pay-per-views i mean it's just not a big pay-per-view it's a good fight but it's not the kind of fun I agree. in my opinion that would rise to the level a pay-per-view. That's a live Showtime fight or a live DAZN fight. Garcia against Tank Davis. Obviously, that's a pay-per-view fight.
0: And so, and and Oscar took to social media, basically pleading publicly that hey, you, you know, exactly what you're talking about, Oscaring on the uh, on the social media platform. Hey, the fight's got to be on DAZN. This is a great fight. We got to have this happen. Never happened. Never came off. Charlo hasn't fought anybody. Just remember
1: one thing: the reason yeah. why this fight between, if it, assuming that it gets done, between. Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. The reason why it's going to wind up as a Showtime pay-per-view, and they're the ones that are can control the, the broadcast, is because Golden Boy and Oscar just did not have a choice. Ryan Garcia, basically, or his advisors, and I'm you know I don't want to be too dramatic, but you'll understand the the, uh, the you know the what are the the comparison I'm making. They put a gun to their head. They had no choice. Do it this, Do this. way, or, or we're or we're gonna make your life miserable when we're leaving. And and it was sort of like, you know, would you rather have Ryan Garcia with you, make the fight without the zone? And if he wins, he's still with you and you're back on the zone. If he loses, his career's not over, he's still with you, and he's not gonna lose all of his fans, he's still with you, you can still do big events. They just had to, you know, pick your poison, which is which is uh, you know, you you have to choose you know, the 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 lesser of two evils, I guess, if you want okay. for, for lack of a better phrase. Well, and let's
0: put it, let's put it in this context. Uh, and then we're moving off of this and moving on to the recaps and everything else. Uh Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence couldn't get together. And for the longest time, it's the clash of Heyman PBC with Spence, Bob Arum with Crawford can't get along. I mean, ultimately,
1: if But then Crawford wasn't with Aaron and they right, couldn't get But up, if the
0: fighter up. wants it to happen, that's what I was coming to. If the fighter wants it to happen, it's gonna happen. And now Terrence Crawford it doesn't have the deal with top rank, just as you said, and the fight still didn't happen. So you can't blame Bob Arum and top rank for that. Now you're looking at the fighter in that case. And in this case, you're saying the fighter, Ryan Garcia went to golden boy, went to Oscar De La Hoya and said, I want this to happen. Let's make it happen. Ryan Garcia. is the.
1: I mean, look, Tank Davis obviously ultimately accepted the terms and good for him. So I I never, for a minute that I think that tank didn't want the fight, but the one that willed the fight to happen, That's been talking about it for a couple of years. I remember like Ryan talked to me about it a long time ago. And I mean, I was trying to be respectful, but you couldn't help but think to yourself like this kid's crazy. Like that's that fight's never going to happen. He willed this fight to happen or at least to get it. It hasn't happened yet to get as far as it has. And he's not about in my mind about to walk away on Monday if they happen to miss some arbitrary fake deadline because they don't have paper. All right.
0: So stay tuned. You got the very latest from Dan. We'll see more reporting on this Monday, Tuesday, etc. Uh, a couple of other quick things. Uh, the monster Naoya Inoue has officially relinquished. Did he relinquished all of them, or just relinquished, he relinquished all of them, and says I'm moving up to uh, super bantamweight, to junior featherweight, whatever you whatever you prefer. Ah, uh, the undisputed bantamweight champion. Just say a little bit more here about that. Not an unexpected move. He said so. He said it's t- this. This chapter's over. Essentially,
1: is what he said. I'm ready to move up. Sure. I mean, even in the in the pre-fight before he had uh, the match with uh, Paul Butler at the end of uh, 2022, where he became the undisputed champion, unifying history belts along with the WBO title that Butler brought to the party in a you know a dominating, one-sided ass-kicking 11th round knockout. You know, he said he was going to be moving up, and this was his last hurrah at bantamweight. And uh, and then when the fight was over in the ring, he said it again. But, you know, sometimes the guys, they don't want to necessarily give up titles. They might string it out a little bit, see what's available, see what's out there. But ultimately, he uh, gave up all four belts on the same day Uh, there. You know, he made that official statement. Uh, The sanctioning bodies have confirmed that. And uh, he's won titles in three weight classes. He was undisputed in the Bantamweight division. He's now looking to move up and win title uh, title in at least the fourth weight class at 122 pounds. And now, of course, with uh, the monster out of the Bantamweight division, it's wide open, and you have a whole bunch of people that will be vying for those belts. The sanctioning bodies have uh, various uh, fights in play that will most likely fill those vacancies. As an example, in the WBC at their convention, knowing that was a possibility or that ordering a mandatory, they they approved uh, Nonito Donaire, former champion, who has two fights against uh, Inouye, Way against Jason Maloney for. I guess it would have been for the interim title, but now it'll be for the uh, now the now vacant title. So at some point they'll they'll formally send out a letter and you know tell them what the parameters are as far as the deadlines. In the WBA, the interesting thing is one of the the beneficiaries of uh, Noya in a way vacating is his younger brother Takuma in a way who is a good contender in his own right. He's going to probably be one half of the vacant title fight for that against the uh, the Nicaraguan fighter Melvin Lopez in the IBF. Uh, I don't, this has not been officially ordered, but they both won eliminator, so I expect the IBF will make this order in the in the in the coming days. Uh, will be the Manny Pacquiao promoted, Vincent Ostrolabio, who won a eliminator on Showtime, who has also a, a victory against Guillermo Rigondeau. They'll order him to fight the former IBF title holder Emmanuel Rodriguez, who Noyo in a way defeated to win the IBF title back in the in the uh, in the tournament. So those two guys will probably fight for the vacant IBF title. The WBO, you can look at their ratings, but they haven't made it clear yet who will be up to fight for the vacant title. But the point is now, if you're, if you're a 118-pound world-class fighter, uh, you know you have a lot better chance of becoming a world champion today than you did a couple of days ago when uh, Inouye was holding all the belts. But he's he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. Inouye, he's one of the best fighters in the world. Uh, it, is, it is inconceivable to me that anybody that would do a pound-for-pound pound list would not have him at the worst at the worst in the top four. A lot of people might have him number one, some have him number two, but he's a he's a tremendous fighter. I'm uh, happy to say that on the, one of the, he's only fought in the United States, like I think two or three times, but I got a chance to see him fight in person the first time he fought here on one of the super flag cards uh, out in California. Um, just, a, just a great fighter and uh, onward and upward. All right, let's see where he ends up in a
0: championship matchup, because again, in a couple of these organizations, he becomes the automatic number one contender when
1: he moves up to 122. At least that well, way in the WBO, right? Even besides that, he brings so much money to the table yep. uh, that it's impossible for guys to look past him. Now, it it it, it seems like when he comes... Okay, first of all, the one thing about the 122-pound weight class, if he wants to fight for a title in his next fight, it's going to be difficult because there's only two champions. There's the unified champion, Akhmedalyev, and the other unified champion is Stephen Fulton. And I don't know if either one of those guys is necessarily uh, going to be going to Japan or at least not on his time frame. So you know it's gonna have. There's gonna be some conversations gonna have to take place. I know already uh, that uh, that they that the Inaway side has reached out to Fulton to talk about what his availability is. Um, he's supposed to be fighting Brandon Figueroa on Showtime. That was not a signed contract. It is conceivable that he could go and do some other fight before that rematch. Uh, we're gonna have to see how it all plays out. But right now, if you're a 122 pounder in, in, in this uh, you know in this sport at the top level, <laughs> you know whether it's for a title or not. You want your name in that hat because even though you're probably going to get beat, uh, you're going to make a whole lot of money for your trouble. Uh, the way Paul Butler making a seven figure payday to go and uh, have his title ripped from him in Japan. All right,
0: uh, let's get to it. We put it off long enough, and we don't have to spend a ton of time because I don't think it's worthy of doing it. But the top ranked show did happen. We promoted it a bunch. We talked about it on this preview podcast, Big Fight Weekend Preview. We talked about it on our Bet US show. Rafael wants to point out that he went. What'd you go three and one? Well, I went zero oh and three. I think you yes, sir, on the Bet US show with the predictions.
1: And by the way, uh, some of those were the uh some of my picks were the on the plus side. So when I say a oh jog, yeah, that was like plus one sixty five or something like that. So correct. If you were if you were listening to my picks on the Bet US show, you, made you were making money this weekend. You made money. Which Not by the mind. way, puts me now, let's for the record, say that I suffered my first loss in a while. I'm now what uh eleven and one in my last twelve picks. Something like that.
0: You're doing very well with that. I, on the other hand, thought the Ajogba fight would end in a knockout. It did not. Let's begin there with the main event against Stefan Shaw. Uh, when I see my man Raphael putting Z, 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 and he's not talking about ZZ Top, the rock band, on his tweets about the fight, this is not good. I, Again, full disclosure, because I was locked in uh, on the Jacksonville Jaguar comeback in the NFL against the Chargers. I picked up the Ajogba fight in about the fifth round. And the last five rounds were just... Uh, and apparently the first four rounds were kind of the same way. We're just dull. This was just a disappointing main event. Ajagwa gets the win. Give me your thoughts real quick, and then we'll go on. Absolute
1: horseshit garbage piece of crap fight. Terrible, 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 terrible fight. So disappointing because not... Look, and I didn't think this was going to be fight of the year or anything like that. But I thought here you have two uh, heavyweights that might have a future who are not old heavyweights that still have, you know... You know, youth on their side, relatively speaking, for the weight class a Jagua, 28 years old, only one loss by decision to the mm-hmm. to the excellent boxer, Frank Sanchez, Stefan Shaw, 30 years old, an undefeated fighter. Uh, both guys willingly interested to take this fight. It was uh, you know, they were both on the card, of course, as we detailed Shaw took this fight on short notice because uh, Oscar Rivas, who was the original opponent for Jagua, suffered a detached retina. So he went from the co-feature against Vianello into the main event. So both guys had a change opponents but they had about three weeks or so to do that they were both training so that shouldn't be an issue um and i thought you know what they can both go out there on national tv against a a good opponent and make some some kind of statement and really what they did is they neither one of them made a statement jagua got the win i was shocked frankly that it was 96 to 94 on all three scorecards because while it's not like a fought a great fight by any means, but I felt like he was clearly winning. I mean, yes, he definitely was winning the fight. He, he was much more active. He landed way more punches. His jab was much more steady. He controlled the action and Shaw was reluctant. And frankly, just, I thought in a way, almost like petrified to throw a punch because of what might come back at. What was interesting was Andre
0: Ward kept saying that exactly that. Why is he not letting his hands go? Why is he not doing anything? Then they kept making mention. And we only saw the corner a couple of times and got to hear them a couple of times. They're they're giving him all kinds of advice of go be aggressive, put the combinations together, work the body, work the body. He was doing none of it. I mean, the joke I've always used doing sports radio and on these podcasts is Saturday Night Live used to be called back in our day. The not ready for primetime players. Right. That's what the joke was about the comedians. These are the not ready for primetime players. Stefan Shaw showed the other night, not ready for prime time. He was given a huge yeah. stage on ESPN, and he didn't even try to let his hands go that's to try to win the fight. Part.
1: If you lose, my respect to you if you go there and try. Guys, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. So I, I never dump on a fighter if he loses a fight. That's I don't think that that's fair. But what you can dump on a fighter for is I did not perceive any true effort to actually try to win. I perceived an a effort to try to survive for 10 rounds, make it to the final bell, bullshit my way through 10 rounds and maybe raise my hand and think you won the fight. And it doesn't work like that. So when you say that Stefan Shaw is a not ready for prime time player, uh, again, nothing against Stefan Shaw. I mean, as a, as a human being, he's, you know, by all accounts, a nice guy and all that. But in terms of being a heavyweight contender, that, that honestly, this may sound harsh. And if he proves me wrong, God bless him. And I don't wish anything bad on him. But what he showed me is that he's never going to be a true contender. And he's now finished at that level to get that kind of opportunity he might get an opportunity to get knocked out by Jared Anderson at some point or he'll wind up fighting, you know, over in the UK uh, as an opponent uh, to take on one of their up and coming guys, but he is not ready for prime time. And I don't believe he ever will be now in terms of a jogba, uh, I didn't think he looked very good at all either, but at least you can see something there. He did try. He did throw punches. He did jab. He did land some nice right hands. He landed a good left hand in that fight that, that stood Stefan Shaw up on the ro- on the ring ropes. And, uh, You know He's a little younger, doesn't have as much professional experience relative to how long he's been a a professional. It it seems to me that, again, I don't think he's ready for prime time yet either, but he still has maybe a chance. Mm -hmm. What I saw from Shaw was a reluctant guy that didn't want to be there, that was petrified by everything that was coming towards him, and that never actually tried. Now, I thought a jog would try, he just couldn't get it done, and that's that but he clearly won the fight, and it was one I of the thought, worst fights is this in a fair? long time. I'm with you. I thought,
0: this, I thought this was part of his strategy. He was having success with the jab, and they kept pointing this out on the broadcast. And it almost seemed to hint to me that his mentality became, I'm controlling the fight. I'm the aggressor. I'm landing the jab. The other guy's not landing on me. I am winning. And until the dynamic changes, until he does something different, I'm content to do this. Maybe I get a spot where I get a knockout. Maybe not. I see you nodding. But I think by the sixth round, by the seventh round, by the eighth round, he believed he was – now what's fascinating is you look at the scorecards and they had him behind yeah, going to was like ridiculous. the seventh or eighth round.
1: Look, and I, I thought Ajogba won in a shitty fight. I, th- I thought he won at seven least rounds. seven rounds of that fight.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, agreed. But, but he was behind going into like the sixth or seventh round. But still, I think his mindset was I'm winning. I'm the aggressor. I'm landing more jabs. I don't have to do more than this right now because the other guy's not firing back at me. I'm kind of <laughs> – I'm kind of on cruise control unless he does something to upset this. He, Cause I'm winning rounds is what I think. But threw through
1: more jabs than Shaw threw total punches. Correct. I mean, honestly, I didn't, it wasn't a, it was not a hard fight to score in my mind. I didn't, it was I didn't think so either. Bad, it was a bad fight, but it wasn't hard to score. And look, they're not all winners. It turned out to be much worse than we expected. Again, I didn't think it was going to be fight of the year, but I thought, you know, this might have some spark in it. It's heavyweights. You never know. But, uh, You know, I was disappointed in a Jogba's performance. I was way much more disappointed in the lack of effort that I perceived from Stephen Shaw.
0: Quickly, I want to move to the co-feature quickly. Uh, Is a Jogba in the future of Big Baby Anderson? Maybe not next, but later this year. I mean, they're top-ranked guys. They just showcased him.
1: That would be a credible fight for real Big Baby moving up the ladder. You buying that? I mean, I can see that as a possibility down the road. I mean, they're friendly with each other. Ajago was sort of saying, you know, they probably weren't going to fight. You know, money has a way of changing those uh, <laughs> those uh, thoughts, obviously. But Wait the good a minute, thing, I'm going to
0: get how much? Okay, I'll, uh, yeah, you are friends. If you're, but...
1: Look, all of this heavyweight action, the top rank is involved in it right now. They're involved in the heavyweight division on two tracks. At the upper, upper, upper top level of the division as the promoter for the heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. And on the the next guy in line, the next big thing we all think uh, is Jared Anderson. And they have him also, which is why they're doing lots of heavyweight fights, why they put this heavyweight doubleheader together as they try to create uh, other uh, exciting guys, notable guys, opponents that will eventually be there for Jared Anderson uh, to go up against as the current generation of top fighters in the heavyweight division. You know, there's still lots of good guys, but they're not, they're not young guys anymore. They they still have some good fights left, but like a Deontay Wilder, Andy Ruiz, even a Tyson Fury, um, a Joseph Parker, you know, these are guys who are closer to the end than they are to the beginning. And the next generation uh, is going to be Jared Anderson some of these other younger fighters. And whether you like him or not, a Jogbat 28 is one of those guys. They did a deal where they're uh, involved with some of the, like one of the fighters from Canada, uh, uh who fights out of Canada. You know, fighters like that that they are in the process of letting people see them in terms of their ESPN, ESPN plus cards and and building them up. So when they do make a match with the Jared Anderson, people will hopefully know them and be interested and guys will get the experience and the exposure and it'll help the road to, I guess the heavyweight championship for Anderson at some point. And maybe one of those guys was supposed
0: to be supposed to be Guido Vianello who was in the co-feature perfect. All right. So the unbeaten Italian fighting a veteran. We went over this in the preview. We went over this on the US show. We both believe Vianello would win, uh, but ultimately it's a nasty cut from a punch. Johnny Rice lands that punch and ends up getting a TKO, but it's how we got there that was driving <laughs> my man Rayfield crazy and rightfully so. So let's get into it on the recap uh they ultimately got it right but it took a little while to get it right dan it's well, ultimately a tko
1: go ahead thank god they did get it right so in terms of vianello look he was winning that fight handily he was you know on the official scorecards he had he had, he had won uh, f- uh five out of the you know he was up 59 55 on two scorecards 58 56 on the third seemed fair to me pretty dominant actually if you want to know the truth because rice just wasn't throwing any punches and guido was steady and hitting them and landing shots and winning the fight wasn't exciting was not as bad as the main event but it was nothing you're going to write home about either you're not going to be watching that on the replays uh in years to come we're not going to be highlighting that on a big anniversary down the road i can guarantee that uh but guido vianelli guido vianello was doing what he needed to do he was winning the fight against johnny rice a, a very competent you know journeyman type guy but who had won that as we mentioned had in the pre-fight had won uh, two fights in a row in upset fashion against Michael Coffey by a knockout to take his undefeated record, then an in, in immediate rematch uh, by decision. But he hadn't fought since last January, so he was coming off a long layoff. And, uh, and Vianello was in there doing what we thought he would do. Uh, but all you know Shaw threw almost no punches in the fight. But in the end, all that mattered was one right hand that he landed right on Guido's uh, eyebrow. It busted open a very bad cut, which was apparently a spot where he had previously been cut in another fight uh, earlier in his career. So, you know, obviously that, that tissue is tender in that area. Uh, it was a bad, bad cut. I mean, really bad. The, the round ended. The the corner did its best to keep things closed. And when the, when the seventh round began uh, the veteran referee, Benji Estevez, who's been uh, an elite referee for decades, doing uh, top fights for a long, long, long time. Championship referee. Veteran. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, and I mean, not that we're best friends, but I've known, be, I've known uh, Benji Estevez now for many, many years, uh, you know, always, uh, again, we don't hang out, but when I see him at fights, we always, uh, say hello, make a little small talk. You know, we, we check in with each other. He's a good guy. and, he, and he's a very, very good referee. I, if uh, I may be so bold, I would say, uh, you know, down the road, a hall of fame level, uh, referee in terms of his overall career. So what he did was at the beginning of the seventh round, he called a timeout and asked for the ringside physician to come and examine the cut. And when they showed it up close, you know, you could see the doctor looking like, okay, this is not good. Horrific. And he said, he made the recommendation that, 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 uh, that benji stopped the fight and so benji you know you're very rarely i mean you can i can't think of any times where you see a doctor who gives the uh the referee uh, the opinion that the that the fight should be stopped because you always hear in the in the rules only the referee can stop the fight well if the doctor says that the doctor says the fight should be stopped you know a hundred out of a hundred times the referee is going to stop the fight so benji stopped the fight the, the thing was he didn't immediately rule it a tko what he did was he thought um turned out to be obviously mistakenly he said you could hear him on the audio saying uh it's uh it was caused by an accidental headbutt and if that is the case we're going to go to the scorecards as a technical decision so he told the judges because they were like 30 seconds or so into the round even though nothing had happened you have to follow the protocol which is you still have to score the round so he said to the judges score the seventh round which if you look at the official scorecard which we got copies of in terms of uh mm-hmm. after the fight from uh, evan corn at top rank who sent out the you know some of the uh, the updates on the actual physical scorecard that we got a picture of. You see that the round seven was scored on. I believe all three judges scored that round for Vianello, and then it was xed out because in the end it was ruled a TKO. And the reason why is because it was very clearly, as you could see on multiple ESPN replays, that it was a accidental or not accidental head, but it was a clean freaking right hand that busted it open.
0: But you just said the key phrase, it's the replay and then we had a little replay controversy. Yes. Get
1: into that. Okay, so in certain jurisdictions in the United States and other places, replay is allowable. Uh for example, in the in the state of Nevada, which obviously mm-hmm. hosts lots of big fights, there's very specific criteria of when you can use replay. And this is something they implemented a few years ago. One of the key things it has to be a fight-ending situation. You can't just call a replay because there was an accidental headbutt, you know, in a round, and you're checking it. It really has to be a fight-ending situation, which this was. So this would have been a reviewable situation in the state of Nevada. And other other places have variations of the rules, and not every place has the ability under their rules to use replay, uh, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, if you have the technology, why shouldn't it be used? We use it now Amen. in most professional sports, professional Amen. baseball. You have it football, right there. Whatever basketball. Um, and the thing about it is everybody could see that it was a, it was a clean punch. Mm-hmm. They played on the big screens in the arena. We at home watching on our TVs, devices, computers, iPhones, whatever could see it was a clean punch. And why should the entire world know that it was a clean punch? And yet one referee, an honest referee who just made a mistake or missed the call, and then try to do it on purpose, thought he saw it headbutt and tried to make that ruling. So In the Oneida Indian Nation, which is where this fight took place, not in uh, governed by the New York State Athletic Commission, which does not have replay in its rules, as it should, in my opinion. Uh, I think that's the case. Anyway, they may use replay in the Oneida Indian Nation, according to their rules. They don't very often do it. But in the end, when when Benji spoke with one of the regulators, the person that is the director of that commission uh, that handles fights at the uh, Turning Stone Casino, they, they made the suggestion, we should take a look at the replay. So Benji did what he was supposed to do. He went down uh, by the ring, and he looked at the well, replay. Well, the first and thing is fought. we had
0: in-ring audio where that commission official, I think his last name is Ross, comes up on the ring apron and tells Benji Estevez, it's a punch. He says, right. I've seen the replay. It's a punch. You need to look at it. Again, to your point, you're in charge, but I'm letting you know it's a punch.
1: You need to go look at the replay. Go ahead. Which, by the way, in, in again, to use the Nevada example – at every single fight now in Nevada, you know, on those level fights, they have not only the timekeeper, the doctor, the, the judges, whatever, they also have somebody that's specifically signed as the replay official, which is usually a alternate referee that is not refereeing the bout. And that referee is watching things to have the ability to communicate with the actual referee in the fight in case there is that. So, for example, if you have uh, Kenny Bayless refereeing a fight and there's a situation and, and the replay official is Jane eighty. They're on this, you know, they have a rapport. They know each other for years. They work together. If Jay says to Kenny, Kenny, you might want to look at that. Kenny's going to listen and going to take the opinion of his colleague. And he's going to take a look at the replay if necessary. So that's what that's for. Uh, But listen, at the end of the day, Benji Estevez did the right thing. He didn't have to, uh, but he went and he looked at the replay. And like everybody else in the world that saw it, saw it's a clean punch and said, you know what? It's a clean punch. He's going to win by a TKO. Not going to be a technical decision. Because if they had given it a technical decision, Guido Vianello. Would had his hand raised as the winner of the fight. Johnny Rice would have gotten screwed beyond royal, royal royally screwed, and we all would have been, uh, you know, tweeting and pissing and moaning about how uh, terrible boxing is and how you know there people would be claiming corruption and this and that. Look, it took a couple extra minutes, but in the end, uh, Benji Estevez is a good referee. did the right thing, and they got it right, and that's the most important thing. They got Amen. the call right, and Johnny Rice has his upset victory, uh, and now he's got three good wins in a row. And even though Vianella lost, it's not like a career-ending thing. He, he he was dominating the fight. He got badly cut. So be it one punch, and uh, hopefully everybody lives to fight another day. Johnny Rice a jogba, maybe? Maybe. I, I, I doubt that because I don't see uh, it that. It would not that... be a headlining fight. Maybe yeah, on probably. an undercard, maybe? You never know. But, but look, first of all, it's not uh, to me, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They could theoretically try to make a rematch if Top Rank wanted to have Vianello, you know, try to avenge the loss. Uh that's but I a know enough about Both. this,
0: and you've covered it for a long time. He's gonna have to have plastic surgery on that cut. I mean, that yeah, cut no, I is mean a that's a four good. or five-inch cut, and it's gonna take a while for that thing to be healed up and stitched up because it you're right. I was not aware that you said it, that he had been cut there before. Yeah. but it got massively split open. Uh that's gonna I mean, that's I mean, literally plastic surgery there
1: for a while. Look, Johnny Rice now, like I said, he's got three legitimate solid wins in a row, two by knockout. It you know, it wouldn't be a total shock to me if they gave him to Jared Anderson. Okay. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Jared needs opponents, he still hasn't fought the top, top guys. He the the biggest guy, best name that he's fought was his most recent fight that took place in December on the undercard of the Tiafimo Lopez Sander Martin card. Where he fought against the uh, what I would consider a a good solid fringe contender, let's call him in Jerry Forrest, and uh, had a couple of problems with him in the first round. Got Tad, got rocked a little bit, came back and looked spectacular ultimately and knocked him out. Uh, you know, I think in the third round, if my memory is correct. But if he's going to fight, you know, three four times next year, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be legit to have Johnny Rice to have be, him be one of the opponents. Johnny took a good punch from Guido. Uh, wasn't he's going to have to be more active if he's got a chance in heck against uh, uh, Jared Anderson? But look, I can see that happening. But the point is, Johnny Rice, whatever you think of him, he he scored the the the, uh, the punch that opened the cut. He deserved the win. He got it. Congratulations! It's three good wins in a row for him. And it's uh, and it's uh, if you, if you're going to go put the effort in and you and you do the damage, you should get the reward. And he got it. And I'm happy for him.
0: All right, very good. So sticking with the heavyweight themes coming off the weekend, sadly a former WBA world heavyweight champion from the early 80s, Jerry Coetzee of South Africa, who was uh, very well known in and around heavyweight circles, having challenged Mike Weaver. Now we're going in the way back, having challenged Big John Tate, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, unsuccessfully, uh, but then eventually became heavyweight champ and then was controversially uh, knocked out by Greg Page. You talk about a long count. How about a long round A round that went uh, over three minutes, almost four minutes that he got knocked out in controversially. Uh, Anyway, he passed away, uh, had been sick uh, recently, didn't know how sick and, uh, and passed away. And I know you wrote about this real quick. So say something about that because he was a very popular uh, fighter in South Africa in the early eighties and a former champ.
1: Yeah. He's only 67 years old. His, uh, his former manager uh, said that he'd only found out, uh, in the last week or so before he died that he had had lung cancer. Wow. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that happens, that you could have have lung cancer and be so close to death that you didn't know it, but it's obviously, you know, unfortunate. Don't go get yourself checked and you don't know, I guess. But, uh, so yeah. So, you know, look, Jerry, folks, I don't think anybody's gonna ever say he was a great fighter, but Jerry was a very popular fighter, like you mentioned. Um, and he was one of the fighters in the eighties when the, when the various titles while Larry Holmes had a hammer lock on the WBC title, uh, for such a long time the other belts you know the wba mainly uh, but the wc also at times when larry ended up taking the ibf title uh, when it first became a thing um but the uh, the other titles they they floated around with a bunch of different fighters mike weaver greg page michael dokes jerry cocea uh, Pinklin thomas i mean we can go on there's there was a whole bunch of them but but cocea had his moment in the sun he became uh, i guess somewhat of a name he appeared on uh, wide world of sports in 1979 mm-hmm. from a fight in monte carlo uh, the top-ranked promoter where he scored a first-round knockout against uh, Leon Spinks, who was uh, – it was Leon's first fight coming back from having lost the rematch to Muhammad Ali. So he was a very famous fighter, having had the two uh, very big fights against Ali with the one victory and then, of course, the uh, the decision loss in the rematch. So, But in his first fight after the loss, Ali got starched by, by uh, Kosea, and that made him sort of a name, uh, not just in South Africa. And then he ended up getting eventually uh, a couple of title shots, which he lost but then ultimately he did get the victory. And as you mentioned, when he lost the fight, uh, the cost him the title, uh, the round that he got knocked out in, he got knocked out when it had gone past three rounds. That was a timekeeping error, which is uncommon. Most recently I can think of a fight between Daniel Gale, I believe it was and triple G, uh, in Madison square garden, where the fight went well beyond three minutes. Uh, fortunately, there was no knockout that occurred, you know, at that moment when it was overtime, but still not a good look there. Um, but the thing about Kosea, he was a white fighter from South Africa. So when he became the heavyweight WBA champion, he was the first African fighter to become a heavyweight champion. But as a white person, which was obviously mm-hmm. unusual, but he was in South Africa. At, you know He became an important figure, not just because of his sporting accomplishments as a heavyweight, but because he helped bring together um, a, a country that was torn apart by apartheid. So he had fans that were obviously the white fans, but a lot of the black fans liked him also and rooted for him and supported him. And, and Nelson Mandela, obviously the, the great leader of South Africa, when he came out of prison, he spent 27 years in prison, largely had been fighting against the, the, the apartheid uh, uh, policies of the country. And, and Mandela talked about how when he was in prison, he was still allowed to have, you know, I don't know if a television, but certainly a radio. He listened to Jerry Coetzee fights on the radio and was a fan of Jerry Kotze. And Coetzee had spoke about in his later life about what a big deal it was when, when uh, Mandela, be, before he had even become the president of South Africa in 1994, had sought a meeting with Jerry Coetzee. And Coetzee went and met with him mm-hmm. and w- proclaimed to be one of the biggest deals in his whole life to realize and find out that Nelson Mandela is great leader of his country. Had been a big-time Jerry Codeza fan, and uh, you know he really took that to heart. So again, he had uh, some big, big moments and some low moments as a fighter, but he was beloved by his country, and uh, you know shouldn't be forgotten because he was maybe not the greatest heavyweight, but he made an impression on that weight class. Fought a lot of the top guys, won a world title, and uh, was a really important figure in the history of South African boxing. And he had some wild fights. I still remember
0: as a a youngster, a young TJ, that upset of Michael Dokes when he won the title. I remember the Mike Weaver fight, which I want to say was replayed. It had happened like midweek in South Africa. You love this in the nostalgia. And I want to say like CBS or somebody replayed the Mike Weaver upset. So you knew it was coming. But again, this is pre-internet. You, you know, you didn't have an opportunity to see it on demand. There wasn't pay-per-view. So, so they here's, here's showed the, uh, it as the replay, and you knew it was coming, and you still were eagerly anticipating Mike Weaver knocking him out in South Africa to capture the title.
1: And that's what happened. So it, before he won the title that we talked about, right in, uh, in uh, 1979, he got his first title shot. This is a little bit after the Leon Spinks victory. He lost a 15-round decision to, to Big John Tate. That was for the mm-hmm. vacant WBA title. Uh, Ali had been stripped of the title after he had regained it against Leon Spinks, and it was filled by the winner of uh, of Tate versus Co- Coetzea. And after that fight, that was 79. In 1980, again, in South Africa, he got knocked out in the 13th round, uh, challenging Mike Weaver for yep. that title. And so it was only after he had suffered the two losses in the WBA world title fights. And and remember, Cotea Box his whole career span like seventy four to ninety seven. So, but he was really in his heyday in the nineteen eighties. Uh, but he he uh, he won that title. But it was that was the big upset that he had uh, against Michael Dokes, where he was an like a five to I looked this up actually when I was writing uh, some of uh, stuff in the obituary. He was about a five to one underdog against uh, Michael Dokes, who was a tremendous puncher. Went to Ohio right outside of his hometown of Akron, and uh. And he was a big favorite to beat Cotea, and you know, and uh, knocked him out. You had kind of a whole carousel because
0: now I'm gonna yeah. now I'm gonna make you smile because I remember this whole nostalgia. So Weaver um, ends up beating John Tate after John Tate beat Cotea. Weaver lost almost every round, if not every round of the 15 round fight, and knocked John Tate out cold, a tired timber. John Tate timber face first in Knoxville, Tennessee, in his. Home city, and then Weaver went and fought Coatsia and was losing a lot of that fight and dramatically knocked him out. Then Michael Dokes turned around and scored a bizarre, controversial, quick stoppage first round KO of Weaver. And then they end up having Coatsia fight Dokes, and Dokes upsets Coatsia. How about that merry go round of all those guys fighting each other? No, it and was that's was how Coatsia became Chip. Became it was Coatsia who knocked out
1: Dokes for the upset.
0: Correct. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Coetzee yeah. knocked and, and out way, Dokes after Dokes had beaten Mike Weaver in like 70 seconds in the first round. Later on, Coetzee beats Dokes. Uh, so that whole that yeah. whole quartet of fighters
1: fighting each other, that's how it all came around. So Coetzee had won the title off Dokes in 1983, mm-hmm. and it was picked by The Ring Magazine that year as the upset of the year.
0: How about that? All right. So, uh, what, 67 years of age, he passed away um and then we have some other news uh as well of of other uh man you kept saying january's got birthdays coming left right and down the middle the greatest come tuesday we released this podcast for money the greatest would have been 81 years old on tuesday muhammad ali How about that in our time frame and some other big time fighters are having birthdays right around the same
1: time correct yeah i mean it's uh I don't know if it's because they got an early start on things, uh, you know, and they were always at the uh, head of their class or the oldest of their age group or whatever, but there is an abnormally large amount of all-time great fighters with January birthdays and birthdays early in the year, like, you know, like De La Hoya is a February birthday, but in January we just talked about uh, in the last podcast it would have been uh, the birthday of Joe Frazier. Uh, Ali would have turned 81 on Tuesday. Two of, of more contemporary fighters, guys who I've known and covered for years, who are now retired, uh, the great Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins turned 58 years old on Sunday, the day that we're recording this. I actually had a nice text exchange with Bernard and wished him a happy birthday. Um, Told him to make sure he goes and has a nice piece of cheesecake, which is his all-time favorite dessert. I could tell a story (laughs) about that if you want to hear it. Uh, And then on Monday, the day that this uh, will be listened to by most of the folks who listen to it, will be the the 54th birthday of one of Bernard's great rivals, and that's Roy Jones Jr., who for many years uh, was the pound-for-pound king, and for my money, in uh in my career uh the single greatest uh most talented fighter i have ever seen in person uh, all due respect to the other greats including bernard and people like floyd mayweather and manny pacquiao and etc but uh tremendous fighters and uh and all-time greats and oh, i hope no bernard a cheesecake
0: does he have a particular what? flavor do you know that particular like blueberry cheesecake well i could you want to hear the cheesecake story is, is it is it uh family oriented or
1: yeah it's, it's so on the night that Bernard Hopkins fought the rematch against John Pascal in Montreal. Now, right. if you remember, that was the fight where after one of the rounds, he stopped and did push-ups to show that he was still <laughs> right, right. fresh against the younger man. Uh, and he you know, Pascal was the big crowd favorite. I was a sold-out arena in the Bell Center in Montreal. I was at the fight, covering that fight, and uh, Bernard put on a great performance, and he won the fight. And with that victory... Now, wait, back he,
0: up a half step. When Bernard Hopkins started doing that, your immediate reaction was what? being right there because you've never seen anything like that nobody really ever done that before doing push-ups like out of either frustration or just to prove to the other guy you haven't hurt me i'm still in great shape what was your immediate reaction if
1: you recall my immediate reaction was what the hell is he doing <laughs> but bernard is being bernard yeah because that's the kind of stuff that bernard would do bernard was always trying to get in his opponent's head it didn't matter if it was before the fight during the fight even sometimes after the fight and so uh you know i immediately looked at him, i'm like he's My my immediate impression, which I turned out that was accurate, he was basically trying to, in addition to maybe psych himself up, to also show to a tiring Pascal, dude, you're like 15 years younger than me, and I and you can't hang with me because I'm doing push-ups and you're you know sucking wind on your stool. There we Uh, go. So anyway, on that night, Bernard Hopkins won the fight, uh, and with the victory, he broke the record set by George Foreman and became uh, the oldest fighter in boxing history to win a world title. And it was a very, very historic night. And I remember going to the press conference and everybody was excited. And, you know, Bernard was, uh, you know, very thankful. Remember, they had had a a previous fight where they had fought to a very disputed draw in their first bout. That was in Quebec City. And so now this rematch, he wins the title. And now we're done with the fight. Everybody is exhausted. It's really late at night. But Bernard uh, Hopkins is starving. He hasn't eaten. He wants some food. So the Golden Boy team was there. And some of his people, you know, his publicist, uh, Kelly Swanson, um, myself, I was one of like only a couple of the American reporters that had gone to Canada to cover the fight. And they're going to go find something uh, after find a place that we can find a place that's open. It's like two o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, Montreal is not exactly like Manhattan. You know, it's not like you can just walk to any block and there's going to be a place that's open. So Bernard invited me to come along with them, And so the bunch of us are in a couple of cars and we finally find a place We're riding around downtown Montreal at, like, 2 in the morning. We find this, like, diner-ish type place, and it's open. That's That was basically the criteria. If you're open and you have a menu, we're going to be there. And and by the way, we should share with the audience, and you know this
0: because you've lived it, uh, most of Montreal is French-speaking only. Montreal proper, especially downtown Montreal. So were you fortunate that you found... Quasi
1: English when you went to this place? Well, my experience, and I've been to Montreal on a number of occasions, both for boxing as well as uh, for pleasure, that pretty much even the folks that speak French, everybody speaks both languages. All right. So it was, that was not an issue. Uh, everybody speaks English and French. So that was, there was no language uh, problem. So we finally, we find a place, and Bernard was enamored with it because as soon as we walked in the door and we're waiting, and we're, there was really nobody there, it was maybe one or two other tables. We sit down at our table, and on they have a bunch of TVs on. And almost not constantly, but they have on the different sports channels and they're constantly showing highlights of Bernard's victory. So he was very excited to like see the highlights of his win. It's all over the big Canadian news channels and the sports channels, et cetera. Anyway, make a long story short. So we're all, we, you know, we order, it's like diner food. People are getting like pizza. People are getting like hamburgers. People are getting like, you know, French fries and chicken wings and all that kind of stuff. Bernard has spent like eight weeks in training camp. Hasn't had like a bad meal uh, his entire training camp. And what does he do? He doesn't have a burger or a hot dog or pizza or a chicken or whatever he has. And, and believe it or not, the kitchen was ready, willing and able to do this. They were happy to have him when they realized who was sitting there. He ordered like a special meal. They made him pasta with broccoli and like a little bit of like, kinda, like you know, garlic oil or whatever. Anyway, he was having like trying to have some type of like healthy ish meal even after the fight. And we're all busting his balls. We're like, Bernard, you just won the fight heavyweight championship. You're like the oldest fighter in boxing history. You're not going to fight now for a while. You just spent eight weeks in camp. You can't like live a little, have, have yourself a cheat meal or something like that. No, 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 no. He ate the broccoli, eat the pasta. We're all having our chicken wings and our other bullshit. Anyway, now a few people decide they want to have dessert. And Bernard finally knuckles under and he orders, they have on the menu, caramel cheesecake. He orders the biggest fucking slice of caramel cheesecake you could imagine. And I happen to be sitting on the table. I'm directly across the table from Biha And he says to nobody in particular, he goes, this is my cheat thing. Like, I love cheesecake, and I would want to have it every single training game. When I do cheat and don't eat healthy, I want a piece of cheesecake. So it just was coincidence that this place we find at 2 o'clock in the morning in downtown Montreal uh, has cheesecake. And he orders the cheesecake. And he's sitting across the table and he's wearing like his Urkel glasses with the black rims and his, <laughs> and his little, uh, his uh, school, a uh, you know, newspaper boy hat, you know, with his vest. I mean, he looks like the biggest nerd in the world as he said, we're sitting there and he's jabs the fork into the cheesecake and he lifts it up and the karma is literally dripping from the piece of cake. And I bust out my phone and I take a picture and I've got this glorious picture of Bernard Hopkins with the cheesecake and the caramel dripping off that I put up on, on a social media way back at the time. And. I've run it in like, uh, in a. we ran a picture of it when I worked at ESPN and I was doing a column about Bernard's career and, and our uh, very interesting uh, uh, relationship that we've had over the years because I feel as though of all of the boxers I have ever covered, um, I have probably the, the, the I don't want to say, I would say closest, but most in-depth knowledge of us as people, him of me and me of him, of Hopkins and, and Rayfield. Um, he has met my family. Mm-hmm. He has taken a picture with my, my son when he was an infant, you know, he has kissed my mother, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, when we talk a lot of times, it's not even about boxing. We talk about other things, politics and religion and argue back and forth. We've talked, you know, racial things, whatever. But on that night we were celebrating his victory. I have a beautiful picture of Bernard with the cheesecake and, uh, and, uh, he is celebrating his birthday on, uh, on, on, this weekend. And I hope that he had a big piece of cheesecake on his birthday. So and there's my cheesecake.
0: caramel cheesecake. If it I is, I would hope so. I would, hope we would so. think that it is. I'm partial, like peanut butter cheesecake. Believe it or not, blueberry cheesecake. I like cheesecake. I don't know about you, but I'm a cheesecake guy. Okay, I'm down with that. You know, in Florida down here, they have key
1: lime cheesecake, which is good. If you like key I, lime, you no, I key lime can, pie, I still but... have the image of. Again, it's we're sitting there. It's it's a lot of the staff from Golden Boy. It's his publicist. There's probably ten of us at this table in this restaurant, and Bernard happens with the. With the hat and the glasses and the and the sweater and the big smile, you know, and he had a little crack between his teeth and the, and the cheesecake. And he, there was nobody on the planet Earth that was happier than Bernard Hopkins that moment. New light heavyweight champion of the world, sets the all-time record for oldest champion, and he's sucking down the most glorious piece of cheesecake you ever saw in your life.
0: Love it. All right, we got to get out of here. Uh in the recap mode. Uh, I know you wanted to mention uh Robisi Ramirez, the Cuban-born uh, fighter you reported this will be back in action uh you've learned on April 1st, correct? A top-ranked show. We believe that's going to be the date. What do we have for the Lennox? Yeah, and they album? actually
1: uh, on the on the broadcast the other night they did uh, make mention that also. Mark Kriegel from ESPN also reporting that. So Uh, and I've talked to the top-ranked people, this is something that is a fait accompli, that Robisi Ramirez will fight Isaac Dogbay, the former uh, WBO champion at 122 pounds, who's now fighting as a featherweight. They're going to fight in the main event of an ESPN Plus card on April 1st. Uh, The site is not yet 100% decided, but the key reason why this is important is because it will either be for the vacant interim WBO title at featherweight, or it will be for the full title at featherweight. It will depend upon what happens because Emmanuel Neverett, who is the WBO current featherweight champion, his next bout is going to be uh, in the junior lightweight division. And when that fight is over with, win or lose, he'll have to decide, am I coming back to defend that featherweight? Uh, most likely, he will not come back. He had so much trouble making his weight for the last fight he had against Eduardo Baez. Uh, most everybody believes he'll stay in uh, the, the uh, junior lightweight division, regardless of what happens in his upcoming fight. Uh, so he's taken on Liam Wilson for the uh, the vacant WBO junior lightweight title that was stripped away from Shakur Stevenson for missing the weight. So again, win or lose, he's probably not coming back to 126. So the winner of Robesie Ramirez uh, against Dog Bay will be the WBO featherweight champion. Now it's conceivable if he did come back, it would still be a fight that they would order because the winner of that fight would have the interim title and they would make uh, the winner of that fight fight Navarrete when he comes back. But most likely you're looking at Navarrete versus Dog Bay for the de facto uh, what will become the vacant title. But the fights are far enough apart that it is, there'll probably be a decision before that uh, occurs because Ramirez and uh, and, and uh, Dog Bay don't fight till April 1st, but Navarrete's fight is on February 3rd. So there's enough time between what he's going to do February 3rd to before the April fight for him to decide what he's going to do. And so that's one of the upcoming fights. And the other fight that Top Rank is in the process of trying to get squared away, which will be one week later on April 8th on an ESPN card, that, uh, again, site to be determined, is you have Shakur Stevenson who as we mentioned in his last fight, was stripped of the WBO and the WBC titles at 130 pounds, is now going to campaign as a lightweight. So he'll make his official lightweight debut uh, on that date, April 8th. Um, they've already gone down the rankings and had a bunch of people that have bypassed him and said they didn't want to do the fight, Isaac Pitbull Cruz, William Zapata, George Cambosa Jr. for different reasons. So it looks as though, I don't think the deal is done yet according to Top Rank, but they're working on it against a fighter named uh, Shichiro Yoshino from Japan who was undefeated who is probably best known for his most two recent victories, which are good solid wins, but in Japan against uh, Masayoshi Nakatani, who of course has faced some quality guys like Lomachenko, for example. Uh, and also he has a knockout, um, or I take the back, a technical decision win in his most recent fight against the former 130 title holder uh, Ito, Masayiko Ito, that he has. So those are the two wins. So that looks like the opponent. It'll be for probably uh, a, a WBC lightweight title eliminator and it puts Shakur in, a, in the picture to fight for the title against, against eventually against the Haney-Lomachenko winner or if the titles become vacant, what have you. But the point is it's going to position uh, Shakur Stevenson for bigger and better things, whether it's against Yoshino or they have some other buddy that comes into the fight. So the main thing is you got Ramirez, Dog Bay, April 1, Shakur poised for the return on April 8th, and that means uh, the bigger and better names in that top-ranked stable are all going to be active uh, come this spring. Which we like. And hopefully we get better
0: fights than what we saw on Saturday. I know we're banging on it, but those were not great. It's going to be hard to not get a better
1: fight than that, dog show. Well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, By the way, let me just say, that is not an indictment on the matchmaking for Top Rank because we all thought they'd be solid fights. But when the bell rings, you can't – the matchmakers and the promoters
0: can't help what happens. You're not in control of that. And again, we're going to come back to what we said earlier. Stefan Shaw may never get this opportunity again. And I thought it was interesting, and we're going to wrap on this. Andre Ward and Tim Bradley former world champions were meeting with him leading up to this fight and he was saying all the right things Shaw about taking advantage of this opportunity national cable television this is what i've been waiting on and they were both i think befuddled is a good way to describe it on why is he not letting his hands go why is he not even trying it's not as like it's not like he's being overwhelmed swarmed dominated uh, they 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 were at a loss as to why the guy that kept talking about this wasn't trying any of it, and we just got a boring fight. And but did what he had to do to win that fight. So on that note, I think we're good. Anything else in closing? I think we're good, Mister Rayfield, to head towards uh, later this week. Are
1: will be good. I think we're good. I'm just uh, it's uh, not a whole lot going on right now in terms of the upcoming action, but I'm looking forward to the fight next Saturday between uh, Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith. I'm glad that they found an American outlet that'll be on the zone. So. We can all kick back Saturday in the late afternoon, Eastern time, and and watch that. That's probably the biggest card of next week. Not probably it is the biggest card of the week. So uh that'll be something to look forward to. That'll be a, a nice uh, that'll be a much better fight than a jogo versus a shaw, I can guarantee Let's that. Let's hope
0: so. Let's hope so if that's the case. And Eubank Jr. is very popular in the UK as well. We'll have much more coverage on bigfightweekend.com on Dan's Substack. We'll have a Big Fight Weekend preview coming out this week. Listen, have a great week. I hope my Monday night as we release the podcast goes well for the Buccaneers as well as it did your Sunday for your New York Giants because then they're both alive for the NFL playoffs and TJ gets more playoff checks if the Buccaneers beat the Cowboys plus you're <laughs> anti-Dallas so just... you want the Cowboys to be taken care of it serves both purposes both of our interests if that is the case my friend have a good week as always I uh, I love chopping up uh, uh, chopping it up with you off the weekend on the Fight Preach Unite recap thank you sir you bet, TJ. Have a good week. There is Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe to this podcast. Rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of it. Dan's got a January giveaway coming up. That Takate Souvenir Cup could be yours, but you've got to tag us on social media. Take a picture of your rating and review. Tag Dan on social media. Tag Big Fight Weekend. We'll see it. We'll do the giveaway coming up. For now, we're good on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap. Bye.